Welcome to Candidates Corner, a political podcast created by university students and brought to you by VoteUSA.org. VoteUSA is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization that provides information on candidates across the country for voters before they go to polls on Election Day. This summer, we will be discussing the issues facing states and jurisdictions across the country. Each episode, we will be interviewing a candidate on the campaign trail seeking a win in their primary elections. Any opinions and statements expressed by the candidates are their own and do not reflect the views or beliefs of Vote USA. I'm Sam Andrus. Welcome to Candidates Corner. California's 40th governor, Gavin Newsom, faces a recall next month. Newsom first served as lieutenant governor in 2010 and 2014, then eventually ran for the governorship in 2018. Newsom won 61.9% of the vote with 7,721,410 ballots and defeated businessman and Republican John Cox in the general election. That 61.9% was the highest percentage any Democrat had gained in the race's history, surpassing Jerry Brown's 59.97% from 2014. Cox was endorsed by former President Trump and Newsom by former President Obama. Newsom was sworn in in January 2019 and most recently has been leading the charge against COVID in California. The recall of Gavin Newsom was first introduced by a deputy sheriff of Yellow County, California, Oren Heathlie, in February of 2020. The petition alleged that Newsom favored illegal immigrants, allowed the homelessness crisis to go unchecked, and that California's taxes were too high and the quality of life too low. The petition gained momentum with Newsom's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Grievances were that Newsom was too slow to reopen the state and that his lockdown procedures were too strict. The petition received support from the chair of the California Republican Party, as well as a $50,000 donation from his 2018 opponent, John Cox, who is now also running in the recall election. Among other things, one specific issue that triggered so much support for the recall was Newsom's attendance at a birthday party at the French Laundry Restaurant in Napa Valley in November of 2020. The party had more than three guests and was thus a violation of his own policies for the state to avoid a holiday spike. Newsom since apologized, but the image hurt his credibility very much. In January of 2021, the petition reached 1 million signatures, and in February, the petition organizers announced that they had surpassed 1.5 million signatures needed to trigger the election. Newsom now faces what the chair of the California Democratic Party called the quote-unquote California coup, a reference to the January 6th insurrection, which was widely criticized by members of both parties. Diego Martinez is a Republican running in the California recall election to unseat Gavin Newsom. Martinez immigrated with his family to California in the 1980s from Uruguay. He worked small jobs all throughout his childhood and graduated high school while working at a lumber yard in his free time. Martinez became a U.S. citizen in 2008 and in 2017 opened up his small business in San Andreas selling bail bonds. Mr. Martinez, thank you so much for joining me today on Candidates Corner. How are you doing? Good, how are you tonight? I'm good, thank you for asking. So, let's get right into the questions. Why are you running for governor of California? Seems to be everybody's famous question, right? You know, um, I never thought about running for office. I never even thought about being where I'm at right now. But for far too long, we have just stood idly by and watched career politicians destroy our great state of California. We let people who don't have no real life experience. And what I mean by that is no real day-to-day operations. We have lawmakers that are making laws that affect each and every single one of us, yet it doesn't affect them because they don't live in a real world. I was sitting there watching uh, 
Proposition 10 going to affect when Government Brown was in office, signed it, didn't care, 10,000 people were going to lose their jobs, it was going to cost California people $1 billion, they didn't explain the rights to everybody, didn't care. Then Gavin Newsom takes over and uh, Prop 25 gets pushed, which was uh, no cash bail in the state of California. I started getting angry and angrier at our, our, our politicians to keep making these laws and keep getting us out. So I decided to go ahead and look and see um, what it took to be governor. I come from a business background. I've ran multi-million dollar companies, started my own business in 2006. And I looked at everything that they had, and I'm as qualified as any of them to do it. The only difference is I live in the real world. I understand what it's like to put $5 a gallon in gasoline. I understand what it's like to have $10 in your pocket and you got to feed your kids. I understand that we're overtaxed and that this state is overregulated for businesses. For those reasons, I felt it was my obligation to stand up and do something about it and not only complain, but take a step forward. And that's why I'm running for governor, for the average California taxpayer. Thank you. And let's talk about that a bit more. If you were elected, what would you do for small business owners like yourself? Well, we have a lot that we can do. Right now, we have a surplus that it was a COVID-19 affected uh, surplus. One thing I would do is I would help small business owners who have lost their business because we've lost 70% of our small businesses in the state of California over the last year. I would help small businesses come back with the surplus that we have. We would put a plan together and a budget together for people who want to reopen their businesses. People who kept their businesses open but didn't qualify for any of the federal government loans or even the state loans that were there. I'd also encourage small businesses, just like any other company, to do business in California. So we have to deregulate California with some of the red tape to make sure that uh, more businesses will have an opportunity to open and stay open in the state of California. What kind of red tape would you want to deregulate, as you said? Well, there's a lot that you got to, um, you know, insurance or workman's comp is through the roof. Small businesses are getting taxed to that. You have so much in front of you to keep you from opening a business. California hasn't been business friendly. Let's just face it. Even uh, Tesla wants to leave, is leaving California, which was one of our last manufacturing companies here in the state. We have to get rid of those regulations. We have to look at some of our environment regulations, our pollution regulations, to invite more companies to want to do business in the state of California. Um, small businesses each year get more and more mandates, more and more laws put against them to make it harder for them to stay in business. We have a growing number of minimum wage that just keeps getting out of hand instead of worrying about what that does. We're creating our own inflation and we need a lower inflation in the state of California so everybody can actually make a good living, which means that you have to lower taxes so people have more money in their pocket. But that comes, uh, you just opened up a whole can of worms there to how to lower taxes to make it right and not lose any of the programs that are needed in the state of California that are being paid by taxes. Definitely. So speaking of some of those programs that are uh, being funded by taxes, how would you secure public safety? Public safety, uh, which aspect are we talking about public safety? Because people use the word public safety, and there are so many different ways that we can talk about it. We can talk about the infrastructure of the state, we talk about the roads that aren't very safe to be driving on, 
or we can talk about law and order and that form of public safety. So which one are we actually referring to? I was thinking law and order. Okay. So first of all, everybody talks about back in the blue. That's a great statement. But the blue is an identity. It's not each individual police officer. It's not each uh, police department. I back and stand behind good police officers, good chiefs of police, and good sheriffs. One way that we're going to do is we're going to increase the budget. We will not let any county or city defund their police department. That is a no. There's different reasons. You take police off the street, you defund them, you keep tying their hands on what they're doing. Crime goes up because police officers are afraid to go to a call now because they're worried they're going to get sued. We have to stand behind our law enforcement. We have to increase their budget so they can get more grounds on the boots. So in areas such as Oakland, Richmond, L.A., um, San Francisco, Stockton, where the crime's higher, we want more police on the ground, walking beats, patrolling more, keeping the crime from happening. That will deter the crime from happening. You also can't tie their hands with Prop 47 and 109. We have to remove those and actually make it where you commit a crime, you actually go to jail. We also have to look at the idea of this. Police have to be held accountable for what they do. We've been too lax with that in a sense. We want to blame the whole police department because of one bad police officer. And that's not fair and it's not right for people who risk their lives for us every day. So our theory is a little different. If you are a bad police officer and you got fired or let go or asked to leave from a precinct because of your behavior, because of your malpractice, whatever you want to call it, you will no longer be a law enforcement officer, period. We will pull your credentials where you cannot go to the next county and get a job. And that's too much what's going on right now. You get a bad police officer from L.A., they'll go up north, they'll get a job at another county, and a couple of years later, the same incident happens again. And we're blaming a whole police department when it's really that police chief or that uh, sheriff who will hire that person who knew they had a bad history. So we can't keep hiring police officers, kind of like school teachers. You take a bad school teacher from a good school district and you send them to a bad school district where they serve their tender. That program needs to end. If you're a bad police officer, you got caught doing something you're not supposed to, you broke the law, you will no longer be a police officer. It's that simple. Thank you. You mentioned teachers. Um, one of your campaign promises says you want to take on the teachers union. Um, teachers are famously underpaid. In California, they make above average with $83,000 per year, which is more than most states. Why do you want to cut their salaries? I never said I want to cut anybody's salary. See, you, you, mis, you misread that. I never said I want to cut any teacher's salaries. Uh, what I said is this. Everybody's pre uh, preaching and talking about school choice. And that's great. How many good schools are there in one district? One? How many kids can that school hold? Let's say that school can hold 2,000 kids, but there's 20,000 kids that need to go to school, right? What happens to the other 18,000? Because they weren't able to get into that good school. They get, they, they're okay with subpar education? No. What I said is this. It is very simple. I will go and I will have a discussion with the teachers union, and I already know how it's going to go. First, no more CRT training. Second, no more mandates, no mask mandates, no vaccination mandates. Vaccination should be the choice of the parent, whether they want the child vaccinated or not. And that goes for COVID-19 also. 
And the teachers union is going to tell me, no, we're not going to go back to work. I'm going to say, great, I accept your resignation. Then we're going to rehire the good teachers and hold them accountable for what they're teaching. We're going to hold the uh, superintendents. We also have to uh, hold the principal, the vice principal, and the school board. But there's another step that we missed. One of the people who are running for governor, they actually sit in the teachers' legislation committee in Sacramento that makes the law and makes what the teachers are teaching. We have got to fix that also because we cannot be teaching our kids to hate, and that's exactly what CRT is. We cannot teach our kids transgender when they're three years old. Four years old, our kids should actually be playing with Tonka toys and enjoying life as kids, whether you're a male or a female. And we cannot let uh, transgenders go into women or male bathrooms if they're the opposite sex. But we're getting away from all that. We need our schools to actually teach education, history, science, math. We need to have trade schools come back into our junior high to high school. We need to teach our kids economics. They're not being taught. So nowhere there that I say I was going to cut the teachers' wages. The problem with the teachers' union, they're too much worried about the teachers, and they forgot to be worried about the kids that they're teaching. We need to go back to our future, and our future are our kids. Good teachers get uh, complimented. They get paid better. How do you do that? We're ranked number 48 um, out of 50 states. As the school districts do better, the teachers get a raise. We are going to hold teachers, principals, vice principals, school boards, and our legislators who write the curriculum that our kids are learning accountable for what's going on. We have let this go and get out of hand. This cannot continue. <clears throat> Thank you. I apologize uh, sincerely for misrepresenting your, your stance on that. Um, you mentioned you wanted to censor uh, CRT, also known as critical race theory. Could you elaborate more on what that is and why it should be censored from the curriculum? I'll give you a quick little example of it. I, if somebody wants to teach CRT, they had to teach it in college. It should not be a high school or elementary school being taught. Basically what it is, I'm Hispanic. I grew up in a bad neighborhood, single parent. We were uh, basically poor, went to a bad school. We lived in a bad neighborhood. If I was in school today, if I commit a crime, if I do something wrong, it's okay because of how you grew up. That's what they're teaching. Excuses are reasons why you failed. The reality is the only reason that we fail, first of all, is because our teachers don't encourage us to reach and be anything we want to be. Second of all, is because we're giving excuses to fail. And that's not the way it should be. I'll give you a second example. Well, first of all, if that was the case, I should be in jail. I should be in prison. And so should half the NFL players who grew up in the same place that I did. You have got to have ability and morals to move forward. America is the greatest country in the world, and our teachers teaching CRT are teaching our kids that it's not, that it's okay to be back. No, it's not. This is the only country in the world that you can come here with nothing and make something of yourself. And I am a living proof of that. Me, my brothers, my sisters, we all came from the same place. We are all successful in today's world. We are all living the American dream. But that's not because somebody told us that CRT was okay. Is because they told us that the only thing holding us back was ourselves. Now, my daughter, my youngest daughter, she had a IEP, and we were at a IEP meeting. And the teacher tells me, "Your daughter will be a great, a great cashier when she grows up." 
And I looked at him, I said, do you have any kids? He said, yeah, I have a daughter, same age as yours. As a matter of fact, they're in the same class. And I said, and what, what would your daughter be good at? He told me my daughter's going to be a lawyer or a doctor. And I looked at him and I said, why? Well, you know where she comes from. She has a little bit of disabilities. That's why IPs just slow at learning. And I looked at him. I said, you know what the difference is between my daughter and yours? He looked at me and said, what? I said that you're my daughter's teacher and you're not teaching your kid. Because my daughter can be anything she wants to be as long as she applies herself. That was a form of CRT in that way. Interesting. <clears throat> Thank you. You also mentioned what you call LGBTQ plus propaganda in our schools on your website. Could you elaborate what that is as well as why it should be censored? It's uh, teaching our kids uh, sexuality training in schools, which is basically if you have a little boy going to school and he falls down and cries, they say, hey, it's okay. That's the female in you. It's okay to do that. You're not really a boy. You're not really a girl. You're almost like a ex, I say. And it's okay to be like that. So basically, they're trying to tell your kids that it's okay to be the opposite sex or not be what they're supposed to be. There is nothing okay with that. Unfortunately, our teachers are not psychologists. So they don't have a degree to be teaching our kids that. Second of all, if that wants to be taught, that should be taught at home and at church with their pastor, with their family. No school has the right to tell your kids what sexuality they are. That is messing with their internals. That's messing with their heads. The school should be worried about education, not sexual uh, preference, not sexual statures, but education. Thank you. Moving on from education, what do you think has been Gavin Newsom's biggest failure as governor, in your opinion? I think Gavin Newsom's biggest failure as governor has been his arrogance is do as I say, not as I do, keeping his wineries open when the rest of our businesses got shot down, going to the French Laundry when he told everybody that we couldn't have our families over for Thanksgiving. Gavin Newsom's biggest failures are forest management, water management, giving illegal aliens all the attributes that California taxpayers don't get. What I mean by that is when President Trump took office, we all remember health care, the Obamacare, where if you can afford insurance, you didn't have insurance, they tax you $1,000 at the end of the year because you didn't have insurance. They basically punished you for not having insurance. We're going to speed that up. Um, Donald Trump took office. He got away from that find that they were finding everybody. Gavin Newsom, our beautiful governor of California, ran on the idea that every illegal alien uh, or undocumented person who was in California would get free medical. And that if you were a working citizen, if you're a taxpayer and you didn't have insurance, California was still going to find you the $1,000 at the end of the year for not having insurance. So let me get this straight. I can't afford insurance because my taxes are paying for somebody else to have insurance, but because I can't afford it, I'm going to get taxed. Yet the person who doesn't pay one penny, one cent in California's economy gets it for free. 
Gavin Newsom forgot to put the California taxpayers in front of everybody else. That's where he failed California. Thank you. You also mentioned his protection of natural wildlife, but you said that we should drill for more natural gas in California and also triple our logging numbers. Despite that the restrictions were put in place to protect California's natural wildlife, do you have a, a plan to protect the wildlife better than Newsom? I, actually, I do. Uh, first of all, we actually do need to increase our logging in the state of California for obvious reasons. Look at Tahoe right now. Look up north, even Tuolumne County, where I live, caught on fire because our forests are maintained. They're not clean. 30 years ago, uh, regulations, they spotted it now, got rid of the lumber industry. We have uh, Sierra Pacific Lumber is the biggest lumber industry in the state of California right now. They're pretty much the only ones because they own their own private land. Yet their private land's not burning down because they maintain it. They thin it out. They clean up the brush. They make sure it's healthy. They make sure it's healthy for the environment. We have lost the concept of that here in California in general. So we need to deregulate the lumber industry and get more lumber companies back here, get logging going where we can actually thin out our forces and clean them up so that we can actually be able to fight the fires in less time. We also need to audit the fire camps, the fire system, and who's getting money every time that there's a fire because a fire that should have been out in two weeks now is taking two, three, four months for obvious reasons. One, there's money. Two, our forces are just overgrown and not taken care of, so the fires are spraying a lot faster. And we also need to be able to have, in our six sectors, we need to have more fire trucks available for our firefighters to be able to jump in there and actually get to a fire a little sooner. Now, we have a lot of BLM land or federally owned land bordering to California. Our wildlife can be protected and will be protected, but not where it costs damage to our environment. You can actually have wildlife in one sector, and as you clean up that area of the forest, you can move them over once equipment and everything gets moved over to the next. You can move the wildlife to that safe area where they will not be in danger and where they can actually grow. It's like almost like shifting cattle. You know, you shift them from one side of your pasture to the other side so they don't eat your whole side and eat it to death. It's the same thing we can do with the wildlife out there right now. We want to protect the wildlife, but we want to uh, protect our homes and the human life also. And that's not happening right now. We're paying more attention to wildlife. And we're not paying attention to human life. We're not paying attention. That's why paradise happens. We need to manage our forests. We need to manage our earth, and we need to manage it. And we're not doing any of it. Would you ever consider starting to transition California away from oil and natural resources like that? No. Thank you. I would not. I will, I will, I will help get other sources of energy in California, but I will not move away from oil and fracking. Uh, that is one of the biggest mistakes that we're making. Uh, let's take an example here. Let's say that we don't have no more natural gases. We're running strictly on electricity. You live in California, right? Yes. How many power outages do you have a year? Um, I haven't been living in California too long. I actually haven't experienced any. Okay. So we averaged an average of three months worth of power outages in the state of California. No power. So I live up in the foothills. When we get snow, uh, because power lines go down, breakers shut down. Okay, let's say that I have an electric car. 
yet day two, I can't charge it anymore because there's no electricity. Somebody has a heart attack in my house. We can't get them to the hospital. How about people with ventilators that need that to keep going? Don't think about all the other things. I think that we need to have more than one source of electric uh, power to help California out. I don't want to be like Texas. They got frozen out and they have zero power. That's not the way to be. I think that there's room for everything here. I think uh, a green deal, green energy is there. I think uh, fracking still there. I also believe that uh, biofuel, nuclear, that we have to look at different options to make sure that we keep going, that we don't allow one system to uh, fail and then we're all out. That's what happened in Texas. It froze over. The whole Texas, uh, that section of Texas was out of power, remember? We can't allow that to happen in California. We have to be able to be sustained and have the, like, the, the power that we need for various reasons. Now, when you're talking about no more oil, no more fracking, no more gas, did you know that they're trying to actually get rid of uh, all the motocross uh, out? They're trying to get everybody to go to electric motorcycles to race, electric go-karts, electric motocross uh i guess somebody didn't see what how dangerous those uh bikes are when they uh lay down or they fall down you know we're taking our history we're throwing it away we have got to be able to be able to take care of our environment take care of the human species take care of everything there's a place for everything and it's not about removing anything it's about adding and making it safer or better. Definitely. Thank you. Moving on from the environmental questions, why do you want to overturn Jones v. Los Angeles, a 2006 case where the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals struck down an ordinance criminalizing lack of shelter? Do you think there's a constitutional merit for overturning it? And do you think homeless people should be treated as criminals for being homeless? Okay, I never said I wanted to overturn it. What I said is that I have a solution for the homeless problem. Now, I believe homeless people are just like everybody else and they need to be treated with respect. I also understand that 70% of our homeless people have mental health. I also understand that the SB 640 has been sitting in Gavin Newsom's desk for over three years now and he will not sign it, which will get a lot of the people off the street. I also understand that we're spending $4 billion a year on homeless yeah where's the money going hotels is abandoned let's find a real solution for the real problem i don't think there's uh any constitutional rights that we're tramping over or governing over with my idea on how to fix the homeless and we'll have the homeless off your car and your streets start getting cleaned up within the first week of me being on office it's not very difficult and we'll know where the uh, money's going the problem is that we have nine different agencies right now taking a part of that $4 billion, yet none of it's trickling down to the homeless. Here's the reality of it. The homeless problem is no longer a county or city problem. It's a California problem. It is overwhelming all 50 counties of California, all 58 counties of California. It is overwhelming everybody. There is no cure first. Got to get rid of Prop 47. Second, we have to stop inviting people to keep coming here from other states that are homeless. It's not California's responsibility to take care of them. It is our responsibility to take care of the people that we have here in California. 
open up mental health, even though 1967 Supreme Court forced uh, the governor then, Ronald Reagan, to actually shut down mental health. We will reopen mental health. We will fight the Supreme Court ruling on that. We will also do an intake. So a military base could be built in a day when we go overseas. We have a showers, food, place to sleep, bathrooms, set up in a day, almost like a tent city. We're using the same concept to house the homeless. We have to reverse the executive orders by Gavin Newsom, who said it's okay for people to actually be able to sleep on your sidewalk. It's not okay. It wasn't okay. All of a sudden, Gavin Newsom takes office and our uh, homeless just goes through the roof. So we have to remove those executive orders. We also have to remove the executive orders that's okay for us to give free drugs and needles to drug addicts. Those clinics are either going to be a rehab clinic or a no clinic at all. The state will no longer fund people to get drugs or needles. Now let's talk about these entities that I'm talking about. Each county usually moves the homeless periodically from one area to the other. Now what we're going to do is we're going to move them into these intakes. We're going to make sure they have food, showers, bathrooms, and a place to sleep. We're going to evaluate them to see who needs mental health, who needs drugs, and who needs alcohol uh, rehab, who needs a counselor. We have to know what the situation are. If they need mental health, we'll get them the mental health that they need. If they need drug and alcohol rehab, we'll get them that. Now, 70% of those people will end up in mental health. They'll get the help that they need so they can become productive members of society and get back to it. The other 30%, we're going to give an opportunity for a trade. We're going to, uh, there's plenty of old buildings, warehouses that the state, the city, or the county owns that we can turn into housing for the rest of the 30%. The problem here is that we're going to teach them a trade, plumbing, roofing, tile setting, carpet laying, cabinet making, electrician. They are going to help us build houses. We want to install some pride, some sense of ownership so that they will actually want to stay clean. We will provide a rehab center for alcohol and drugs, and we'll provide a counselor. Now, the program doesn't end there just when you build the housing. You have got to have somebody there overseeing us. You'll have a counselor. You'll have rehabs there open while this program keeps going through, plus teaching them a trade on how to get back on their feet so once they're clean, once they're ready to go, they can actually go back into society and work. Now, you're also going to have your transits. Let's say 5% of those people that don't want to get in the program, don't want to do anything, they'll rather live outside. Well, they can no longer sleep in your parks, in front of your businesses. They will have a designated area where they will be sleeping and showering and using the bathroom. They can stay there up to 90 days. After that, they have to move to the next county. The idea behind that is that there's a statistic that shows that out of that 5%, 80% after removing 12 times will want to get into a program and will want to get into, back into society. Thank you. Moving on from homelessness uh, to our last couple questions. As an immigrant yourself, how would you improve the path towards legal immigration in this country? Well, the first thing I do is I close the border. When I talk about closing the border, there's a lot of uh, finished building the wall. There's a lot of places that illegals are coming in through right now, and there's absolutely nothing going on. They can just cross right on work. There's no deterrence. 
And where am I going to get the money for that? First of all, we secure $15 million a week from border crossing. $45 million a week being confiscated, that money will now go into our border security. I can lose 300 feet of U.S. soil and build our fence right there, and I don't have a lot of red tape to deal with. That's what we're going to do, and that money's going to pay for it. We're going to funnel everybody through the front door, make sure we know who we have here. We're going to work with the three governors, because you have three states bordering with California, where our ports of entries are. We're going to work with those governors in Mexico to uh, minimize and try to stop human trafficking from coming through. I say try, because you're never going to get everything 100%. And it depends on their co cooperation, how much we're going to be effective, because it's a both problem. And that problem actually starts in Guatemala, El Salvador. That's where really immigration really starts. We have got to work with these three governors to push it back and not make it America's problem, not make it California's problem. Second portion of this is we're going to actually, everybody who's in the United States right now, we're going to give them a four-year work permit. No more free medical, no more free money, no more sanctuary cities, no more get-out-of-jail-free cards. It's a one-time offer. If you're here already, you're going to turn in your medical card, and you're going to get a four-year work permit. What does that do? It sounds like amnesty, but it's not. It's way from amnesty. First of all, it's a four-year work permit. They're allowed to be here for four years and work in the state of California. It's a state program, not a federal government program. Okay, So the governor can actually pull that off. In the next four years, we're going to know who's here because we're going to have all their information so we can do a background check. Now, if they're murderers or something like that, we will deport those people. We don't want those people here. But if they're here and they're trying to earn a living, doing it the right way, no more freeze, and they're helping pay taxes in the state of California, California federal taxes, now we have the revenue where we can actually lower everybody else's taxes and start fixing infrastructure because now we have the extra revenue coming in. That's our immigration reform program. Now, somebody that will also eliminate that old saying that illegals are coming here and taking our jobs because they will no longer be able to undercut wages from an American citizen or from a California citizen. They have to work under the same thing. And if they don't, they will be deported for breaking the law when we're giving them an opportunity to be here and doing it right. Thank you. All right, second to last question. I've noticed that you have not mentioned COVID in your issues page on your website. Where do you stand on the end of lockdowns and future possible mask mandates due to variants? Well, the reason I don't mention COVID is because it's getting overplayed. Every 100 years, there's a plague in the United States. Go back 100 years, there's always a plague. Yeah, we always seem to get through it. I think we've been over COVID. Now, that doesn't mean that COVID isn't real. What it means is that we've already learned how to deal with it. We've been dealing with it, and it has a 98.9% chance of your body's natural system overcoming it. I don't believe in mass mandates. I don't believe in a vaccination passport. I don't believe in uh, mandating or forcing anybody to get a vaccination. Even though I do understand 1905, there was a Supreme Court ruling that says that, yes, a government can enforce and make you put a shot in you, take a vaccination. Well, we're not going to do that in California. 
as Californians, as adults, we know if we want to wear a mask. We know if we want a vaccination on our bodies. That should be a person's choice. We will not lock down California when I'm governor at all. During the time that I'm governor, I will not lock down California. It's plain and simple. If you can wear a mask and go into Walmart, you can wear a mask and go to Jose's taco shop. Thank you. They destroyed the middle class and the small businesses by allowing that and discriminating against small business owners. Thank you. And are you vaccinated, sir? No, I'm not. And I'll tell you why. Funny thing is, I talked to somebody that is vaccinated and they had a mask on and they told me, put your mask on. I said, why? They said, so you can protect me. I said, but you have a mask on. Well, that's to protect you. I said, but you're vaccinated. They said, yeah, but that doesn't keep me from getting COVID. So let me get this straight. You're wearing a mask. And if I have it, you're still going to get it. You're vaccinated. And if I have it, you're going to get it. What's the point? the point of getting vaccinated. Now, I asked that question. Well, so if I do get it, it'll help me fight it. Well, shouldn't you get it when you get COVID to help you fight it? It just doesn't make sense why we're taking a shot that we don't need. Thank you. What message do you have for the voters of California with the recall election taking place uh, in two weeks exactly? My message is this, and it's a very plain and simple one. We keep saying that we're fed up as Californians. If you look at the internet, if you look at everything that's going on, everybody talks about, we don't want name recognition. We don't want a millionaire. We don't want career politicians. We want our state back. Remember that when you're voting. Vote for the person who best aligns with your beliefs, who best aligns for your best future. Don't vote because somebody's more popular than somebody else. Vote because they can do the job or at least they have the right message. Don't vote for somebody who won't debate and stand on a stage next to other candidates. Don't vote for somebody who's already a career politician. Because remember this, California and the recall are here for a reason. We're here in the spot that we are because of career politicians, not because of honest businessmen or women. We are here because we've elected career politicians to do what they do. And what do they do? They destroy California. We need to get our state back. When the Constitution was uh, written, it wasn't written for people to have careers. It was a civil service that you did for your country, your state, your county. Yet it became a career. I'm running on the basis that I am an everyday blue collar worker like everybody else. I see the problems. So does everybody else. But if you look at other candidates, all they talk is about problems. I am actually talking about some real solutions. I will do my time, I will serve my state, and I will leave office. I don't want to be a career politician. I want to help California see its better days and have a better future. I need everybody's help. And the bottom line is this. Both parties have failed the American people, but mostly they have failed the California people. And if you don't believe that, if you're a Republican, if you're a conservative, answer this. 
then you can send me an email at diegomartinezforgovernor.com and you can tell me which one of our elected officials that's in the Republican Party is out here voting yes on the recall, pushing the yes call on the recall. Then you can have my email, diegomartinezforgovernor.com. Diego at DiegoMartinezForGovernor.com. Send me an email. Send me a list. Yeah, we have Kevin McCarthy in Florida with Juan DeSantos, who's a great governor. But Kevin should be here fighting for us. We're the ones paying salary. And if you're a Democrat, a Libertarian, or undecided party, the reasons we're in the mess that we're in is simple. The Democratic Party has had control of California for far too long, and we've allowed one party to control our state. I want to make it equal and fair. I don't want to control the House or the Senate. I want us to have the equal representation on both sides because talking and coming together are the real solutions for our state. Transparency. Californians will know every law that's going in effect. They will know what we're voting on and when we're voting on it. I will veto everything that comes from here to November of 2022. I will not allow another new law to pass. I will rehash and I will take all the mandates off. I will also reverse every executive order that has been done that has hurt our state one way or the other. That's why I'm running for office and that's my message to the California voter. My name is Diego Martinez and I am a candidate for governor of California and you can find my information DiegoMartinezForGovernor.com Well, Thank you so much, Mr. Martinez. It has been a pleasure talking to you. I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you, and uh, thank you for having me on your show. And to all your listeners, uh, thank you for listening to this interview, and hopefully you got something positive out of it. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. On behalf of Vote USA, we'd like to thank our guests and you for listening. Please be sure to like and subscribe for more episodes of Candidates Corner and be sure to follow us on Twitter with the handle at VoteUSA1. For more information on the candidates running for office in your community, log on to VoteUSA.org. See you next time.